morning, good morning. You can have a seat. Welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor. And what an honor it is to have you guys with us here today on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, man, we're glad to see you. Today, now I believe, I'm a firm believer that the calendar has no idea when seasons start and begin. I don't believe in it. I don't even read it. I don't, I don't like it. To me, summer is Memorial Day weekend to Labor Day weekend. Am I right? Come on. Come on, somebody, right? And so summer starts today. I'm declaring it. I hope you're enjoying that. Yes. Uh, that means for us as a church, Summer at the Gathering kicks off next Sunday, and uh, Summer at the Gathering really is a time when we like to just enjoy the summer. We're going to kick it off with what we're calling Pops in the Lot. Isn't that catchy? We're going to have popsicles in the parking lot. Doesn't that sound fun? And so right out front here next Sunday, we're going to have some popsicles for you, maybe some soda pops if you're from the Midwest. Otherwise, it's Cokes in the Lot, and you can just decide for yourself, and uh and we're going to have that next Sunday. That's going to be a blast. We're kicking off our summer series, which is called Summer at the Gathering. And as we do that, we really just like to speak on a bunch of different topics without a continuous series. Although my first couple messages are connected, and I'm really excited for you to hear them. And so come on back next Sunday for that. We have First Wednesday coming up this week and uh, on Wednesday. And if you've never been to that, that's a great time to come and hang out, meet people. Because I, I don't think church is something that you should just sit and watch, I think it's something you should be a part of. And so if you've never really engaged in the community here, I'm telling you, that's a great way to do it. We just meet up at the brewery and hang out. I'll be there. I'd love to meet you and to hang out with you a little bit. Uh, I want to tell you real quick that this is your last chance to sign up to lead a life group. Now, life groups are really a part of our bread and butter here at the Gathering Church. Uh, I think that one of the things we do well here is community. And, and this is a space, summer life groups are really a space for you to have fun and to meet some people, to make some friends. Our summer groups are usually more activity-oriented, hanging out-oriented, uh, really just an opportunity to meet some folks. And we would love for you to lead one of those groups. And so if you haven't signed up yet, maybe you've got a, an idea for a group where people just hang out in your backyard and play horseshoes the whole time. That's a great life group and you can do that. And Maybe you've got a, a metal shop and you want to have people come and learn how to weld in your life. You can have people do that. Listen, whatever it is, you got you to get your life group signed up today because we're going to start life group signups next Sunday. And listen, it, you got to sign up for a life group next Sunday, because if you don't, the one you want will fill up. So come ready, come competitive, ready to elbow whoever gets in your way so that you can get the group you want next week. Well, hey guys, uh, we're wrapping up a series today called How to Fight Back. How to Fight Back. So far, in this series, we've learned about our enemy, who he is, what he is, what his strategies are. Dr. Martin Jones filled in for me last Sunday, and I'm so, yeah, wasn't he great? Give him a hand. So grateful for him. I got sick and so called him in in the fifth hour, and he was awesome. Uh, I really appreciate him doing that. And so what I want to do is really pick up where I left off two weeks ago. And uh, I introduced uh, really who our enemy is. You know, they, they say that if you're going to fight, win a fight, you've got to know your enemy. And so that's what we spent the first week of this series learning about was who our enemy is. Who is the devil? What does he do? Uh, we learned that he always runs the same 
three plays. He lies, he tempts us, and he accuses us. And God turned him loose in this world along with his allies because he was thrown out of Eden for the very same reason that we were. He sinned. But because he caused us to sin as well, God created hell for the devil and his allies. It wasn't made for you. It was made for him. God gave you not only a free pathway out of hell, but also the means to resist and fight against the invisible enemies of this world. And today, we're going to talk about fighting those invisible enemies. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says this. It starts out by saying, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. In other words, you don't ever have to go into a battle alone. You are cared for, you are loved, you are valued, and you have a God who wants to do your fighting on your behalf. Verse 8 says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If you came to church today to be encouraged, just hang on, it's coming, okay? Right now I need you to know someone is looking to devour you. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And that is the final word. It is hard and it's going to get better. Our enemy is like a lion out looking for a meal. He's real, he's here, he's not alone, and we're told to stand up to him. But it's not as easy as all that, is it? Because when the chips are down, even if we know what the devil's strategies are to lie to us, to tempt us, to accuse us, even if they're always the same, every single one of us has fallen to them at one time or another. And here's why. A few of the mistakes that we make. First, I think a lot of times we fight the wrong target. We want to resist the devil, but we resist the wrong things instead. Peter says, resist him and be firm in your faith. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And we read these things and we store them up in our hearts to use when we need encouragement. We remember these verses, but the devil knows these verses too. He's been studying the scriptures since they were written, and he knows them very well. He takes these words in the Bible, like resist the devil and he will flee from you, and he twists them around and uses them against you because he is a liar. I think sometimes we resist the wrong things. Let me give you a scenario. Well, I'll give you two. First scenario. For many years, you felt comfortable being honest with the, you felt uncomfortable being honest with the world about the things that you struggle with. So you silently dealt with it. You buried all of these insecurities, these things you're not proud of, parts of yourself, parts of your past, sin that you struggle with, habits that you can't break. You hide it away so that no one knows. Quiet sin. Things you think don't hurt anybody else. 
things you wish were gone for your life, but you just can't seem to shake it. And all of your life, you've never really been completely honest with anybody. And so nobody has ever held you accountable. And then one day, you start going to church, a good church. And it feels good to be a part of something. It feels good to be growing in your faith. It feels good to be known by people. You love serving others and engaging with the purpose that God gave you. And so one day, in a small group or in a life group or, or on a dream team Sunday morning, you open up about some of those secrets. You take off a mask that you've been wearing your whole life. You let people, for the first time, see who you really are. For the first time in your life, maybe, you rolled up your sleeves so that people could see all your scars. Maybe you call up a leader or a, or, or a friend or a pastor and you met for coffee or in their home or in their office and you really uncovered things that have been long buried. You confess it all. You open the floodgates and it feels freeing. And in the book of James, it says that confession to one another heals us and it heals our hearts and it really does. But the next day, you suddenly feel naked to the world. You're embarrassed. The enemy is accusing you. He's filling your head with shame. You feel guilty. And over time, that person that you got vulnerable with starts asking you questions about those secrets you shared because they're holding you accountable. But you say, they're judging me. They're judging me. I shared these people parts of myself that I'd never told anybody, and now they're just judging me. They're accusing me. And so you resist those people. You cut them out of your life. You shut them out. You resent them. You get angry because right there in that space, that is your enemy's strategy to twist the good things in your life and make them harmful. The devil wants you to feel accused and he wants to accuse others of attacking you when they are helping you because the devil is the accuser. Revelation 12.10 says, the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. He is the originator of shame and guilt. I believe accountability and vulnerability are the pathway to freedom. One of our core values is that vulnerability is our strength. When we get vulnerable for the first time in our lives, we have a pathway to truly being free, free from the sin that we've struggled with forever, free from the guilt and the shame, free from the scars and the wounds of our past that aren't letting us move forward. We can only be free of these things through vulnerability and accountability. Accountability is the pathway to freedom. And so your enemy, the devil, is at war with it. Scenario number two. You built a sound biblical doctrine of morality through a lifetime of following Jesus. And with that morality is a clear standing on issues that our nation drags into the political arena. And when politicians write into law things that oppose your moral doctrine, it makes your blood boil. Because your morality is built in a good way. And you've been told to resist the devil. So you form in your heart a hatred for the people that support those policies. A hatred for the politicians that wrote them into law. A hatred for the people that vote opposite to however you vote. 
But who is your enemy? Is it the person who supports the policy? Is it the person who writes it into law? Is it the person in the voting booth next to you? Or is it something else? Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Jesus, when faced with a woman caught in the act of sinning in a way that the law allowed for the death penalty, she was, all of the priests and the the Pharisees that caught her were within their legal rights to stone her to death. And Jesus, when faced with this moment, instead of taking her life, he absolved her of her sin and challenged the people who were accusing her. Why? Because Jesus told us to love those who oppose us. Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's against the unseen principalities, the unseen rulers of this world. You're fighting the wrong battle. Hate what is wrong. Fight for justice. Fight oppression. But you gotta love and forgive the oppressor. I think we can't fight the right way a lot of times because we just, we fight the wrong things. Second, we fight with the wrong weapons. How many of us have assumed we could live our life the way we want to live by pure force of will? I'm going to have the best life for myself through sheer willpower. I will make this happen. I will live my best life now and I will do it because I will manifest it into reality through myself. That has never worked for anyone in the history of man. We want to leave our sin behind and leave our guilt behind. We want to leave our shame behind. We want to leave the lies of the enemy behind. And so we buy the very best self-book, self-help book that we can find on Amazon and we read it and we start to put into practice what it teaches. And it may help. Maybe you go to see a counselor. Now listen to me. That will help you. I, I go to counseling. I've been going to counseling for years. I love counseling. But self-help books and counseling alone are not all the weapons that you need to fight all that opposes you. There is a battle being fought that is bigger than that. So when we fail at getting better, despite all these great things we're using, when we fail, we pick up the world around us, the world's greatest weapon justification. We'll fight this battle with justification. We listen to the devil as he distorts God's word and distorts God's character, and we think, well, that isn't sin anyways, is it? I don't know. Who knows? I don't think it's that bad. Nobody else is getting hurt. Maybe it's not good. Maybe it's not great that I'm doing that, but nobody's getting hurt, and I seem to be a pretty good person regardless, and so I can keep living my life in that direction. Why am I even trying to put this behind me? Or, or we think, you know, this is just a burden I'm always going to bear. This is something that I'll just always have with me. I'll justify it. And all the while inside of us, we had the Holy Spirit of God ready to do battle on our behalf, but we've left his power untapped because we're fighting with the world's weapons. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 5, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Listen to me, follower of Christ. You will fight wars. You will fight battles. You will be attacked. You will have enemies that rise up against you. And the world is filled with weapons that you can use to fight back. And they may have effectiveness for some time. In fact, they may be weapons you need to use to fight back. But if you are not picking up the very most important weapon that you have available to you, you cannot win the battle. We do not fight battles according to the flesh and the blood. We do not wage war the way the world does. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. If you follow Jesus, then the very same power that raised him from the dead lives inside of you. The same spirit that moved him from death to life lives inside of you. The power that makes demons shake with fear, the power that will defeat the devil and send him to hell is available to you 24-7, 365. So why fight this fight the way the world tells you to fight it? Read the good book, the book, the good book, the Bible. Read the self-help book. Go to counseling. Some things we need to get help for in counseling. Strengthen your personal will. That's all good, but it is not enough. You need real power and real weapons to fight spiritual battles. And the third mistake we make is that we fight alone. We fight alone. That's our biggest mistake. God said in the very beginning, it's not good for man to be alone. But the devil loves it when you fight alone. Peter refers to the devil as a lion. Do you know how lions hunt You ever watched one of these sad shows that Richard Attenborough narrates? (laughs) They go for the babies and they go for the stragglers. Why? When an animal is together in a herd, it's almost impossible to take it down. And so the lion's strategy is to separate animals from the herd, to come in between them and all of their community, to bring them apart, to isolate them, so that once they are alone, they are easy to devour. It's the same strategy that your enemy has for you. The devil convinces you that the church is the problem and you can worship alone and you can be a Christian and not go to church. And so he puts that in your heart and you get separated and you get isolated. He convinces you that you've got it under control, that you don't need the embarrassment of sharing this with somebody else. So you isolate yourself from anyone who could hold you accountable. And that's when he's got you exactly where he wants you. So how do we fight back? We're doing all these things the wrong way. What is the right way? What's the answer? What does the Bible give us in the way of wisdom here? Well, I want to finish the passage that we started two weeks ago. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's talk about putting on the armor of God. And if you grew up in Sunday school, you just got to fight the temptation to sing the song right now. (laughs) Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. God knows he's a schemer. God knows he's got strategy. And he says we can stand up against it if we wear the whole armor of God. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, again, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace and in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. The words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. It's interesting that Paul puts that in the end there because he's reminding us that even though this guy Paul, you may not know his story, but Paul wrote a vast majority of the New Testament. He's a giant in the faith. He preached and brought the gospel all over the world. And even Paul was under spiritual attack and said, would you help me fight this battle because I'm not gonna fight it alone. All right, so let's break this passage down a little bit and talk a little bit about the armor of God. Start with verse 13. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Having done all. What does that mean? I think it means avoid the fight whenever you can. Avoid the fight whenever you can. Rule number one to winning a fight is don't get in a fight. That's a fact. I was in the Coast Guard for nine years, and a part of my job was law enforcement. And when I was going through all the law enforcement training, they teach you all these different fighting techniques and fight training, and one part of the training was uh, knife training. And the instructor got up there with the pretend knife that we were going to use for instruction that day, and he said, rule number one of fighting with a knife, you're going to get cut, so don't fight with a knife. The reality is, if we are going to fight battles and wage wars, there's going to be wounds. And so where and when we can avoid a fight, avoid the fight. I'm going to teach you to fight back the very best that I can, but the best thing that you can do is avoid it in the first place. How do we do that? Well, we know what the strategies of the devil are, so avoid them when you can. Jesus said in Matthew 26, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Don't even enter into temptation because it is hard to resist it. Don't go into situations where you know you're going to be tempted. You're not as strong as you think you are. Don't say, well, I can handle this because you might not be able to handle it. Use wisdom and protect your character by avoiding the places where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you will be tempted. This is basic wisdom, but so many of us struggle to grasp it. Don't go into a situation where you're gonna be tempted. 
If you struggle with pornography, download accountability software on your phone. If you struggle with alcohol, tell your friends and avoid scenarios where there's going to be a lot of drinking. You don't have to just tough it out and show how far you've come. If you can avoid the temptation, avoid it. Specifically about sexual temptation, Paul says, flee from it. Not just avoid it, run the other way as fast as you can because it's hard to resist it. So set up boundaries, barriers that stop you before you ever get there. Wise boundaries. I love the idea of guardrails. Out here in these mountain roads, we got guardrails all over the place. I was driving home recently uh, a couple weeks back and was in my car. It was raining. The roads were slick that day. And I live off of Rugby Road. And on Rugby Road, there's a tight turn right before there's a hotel there. Really tight turn. And underneath that turn, there's a big holler. Yeah, y'all know what I'm going to get Southern for. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I say a holler, right? Big old holler down there. And to keep you safe from that big old holler down there, there's a guardrail. And as I'm driving around this corner, another car is coming with a young driver in it going very fast. And they didn't know that corner was there. And so in my head, I'm thinking, this isn't good. And as soon as I pass, I hear brakes screech and something slam. So I stopped the car, turned around and went and got out. And there was a 16-year-old girl in the car who hit that corner too fast, and she hit that guardrail. Now, she was fine. She was safe. Her car's not great, but she was okay. Why? Because there was something ahead of the danger to protect her from the danger. Guardrails aren't necessarily there uh, to keep you, they're not necessarily there for you to run into. You know, they're there to help you if you run into them. But they're really there so that when you're driving, you're reminded that just on the other side of that guardrail is a dangerous place. Around here, we have some roads without guardrails that really need to have them, don't we? Up there, you get on the parkway sometimes or around those mountain roads, you're like, oh my Lord Jesus, I'm going one mile an hour trying to get up there. I'm like, I'm going to be, people are behind, bikers are passing me. They're like zipping by. I'm like, no, I'm not doing it, God. I'm, Lord, I don't want to see you today. Jesus, come quickly, but not in this moment, you know, and, and you're trying to get up those roads. And it's because I feel like I can't keep my car from going to the very edge of the road. It's like it's a magnet drawing me over there. There, the more that I don't want to go there, the further I go. A guard, I've never hit guardrails. I'm not like driving with my paint scraping the guardrail most of the time. I'm not a great driver. But the guardrail, it tells me not to get so close. When you set up a guardrail in your life, it's something like accountability software. It's something like a place you won't go to, a scenario you won't let yourself get into, not because the scenario or the place or the event itself is sin or is danger, but because on the other side of it is the potential for danger. You set up a guardrail to protect yourself from the possibility Avoid the fight whenever you can. Set up good boundaries. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 in the old KJV says, abstain from all appearances of evil. It doesn't say just don't go be evil. It says don't even do things that look evil. You, you want to protect your character? Don't go into the places where people might be able to think it's evil, where evil is on the other side, where evil's a step away. Abstain just from the appearance of it. Just because it's not sin doesn't mean it's okay. 
Paul says just because everything is permissible doesn't mean everything is beneficial. Have good guardrails in your life that don't just keep you from sinning, but that keep you from getting close to it. That's part of doing character work. I think we all need to do more character work in the world we live in. Constantly improve your integrity. Make sure that what you do in public and in private are the exact same thing. Get an accountability partner. An accountability partner is somebody who you're completely vulnerable with. I have accountability partners, and what I do with mine is I give them a list of questions that I would hate it if they asked me these questions. The questions I hate the most. I give them to my accountability partners, and then they ask me those questions. And it only works if you make a commitment to yourself not to lie to them, but to be honest whenever you're asked these questions. Get an accountability partner. Do the character work and avoid temptation. Best way not to lose a fight is not to get in one in the first place. All right, the second way that we fight is we learn the Bible. Your greatest weapon in this fight is the words and the promises and the truth that come out of the living word of God. Half the armor of God from this passage in Ephesians is the Bible. It's his words. It's his promises. It's his truth. The belt of truth. It's the greatest source of absolute truth you will ever find in your life is the holy scriptures of God. The breastplate of righteousness. It says in Romans 3.22 that the righteousness of God is given to you through the faith you have received through hearing the gospel, through God's Words And that gospel, the same gospel that gives you the readiness to resist the devil, the shoes in the armor of God, is all throughout the pages of Scripture. Your shield, your helmet, your sword, it all comes from the Word of God. Paul says, put on the armor of God, and what he is saying is you got to learn how to study God's Word, and you got to learn how to pray God's Word. If you want to resist the devil, the answer is not as hard to find as you make it. You gotta, you gotta know the words of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness, the character work I'm talking about, that the man of God or the woman of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Study this book. Memorize passages that you love. I think we need to bring back some Bible drills. I think some of y'all need some Bible drills. Been on your phone Bible, got no idea where Corinthians is. Some of us need to do some Bible memorization. My dad used to give me silver dollars if I memorized the Bible verses. Some of y'all need to go to the bank and get some silver dollars. Memorize some scriptures. Because it's the greatest tool and the greatest weapon that we have in the war against the enemy who is waging war against you. If your brain doesn't work for memorization, then write Bible passages down everywhere. Write them down places you look all the time. I have a bunch of stuff in my notes app on my phone is Chaos Central, but I always am moving a list of scripture that I pray up to the top of that app. Uh, Write it in your journals. Write it on your mirror in your bathroom, spiritual warfare scriptures that you need. Write it in post-it notes and put it on your desk. Memorize some verses like 2 Corinthians 10, 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to demolish strongholds. You know, aside from John 3, 16, 
and the Lord's Prayer, the first verse that I ever memorized was Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? There's a song if you want to know it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? That's some great 90s Christian worship music if you want to get into it. I could do the whole thing later. I just don't have time right now. When I'm under, this is true. I memorized that passage when I was little. I don't even know how old. I was a kid. And we had some evangelist at our church. And he wrote it down on my Bible and said, memorize this verse. I was like, okay. And I did. I'm 34 years old. I've known that verse for probably 29 years. And every single time I feel afraid, what's in my head? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear among men? I repeat it all the time. It's one of my greatest weapons of warfare. I've taught it to my, my daughter had nightmares and I taught her that passage. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. He's my mighty fortress. Of whom shall I be afraid? John, 1 John 5, 4 through 5 says, For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? If these words of God are seated in your heart, it is a lot harder for the devil to get a foothold there. He's the accuser, so learn what the Bible says about your shame and your offenses and who you are so you can stand up against his accusation because the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Devil, your accusation is meaningless to me because I have confessed my sins and I have been cleansed of my unrighteousness. Romans 8, 1 says... There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How could God possibly love you after what you've done? Well, actually, Romans 8, 1 says there is no condemnation for me because I rest in Christ Jesus. Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When my anxiety comes and it racks my brain, I say, no, I am justified in my faith and I have peace and the one who has redeemed me. John 1, 2 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When the accuser tells you you have no value, you say, no, I am a child of God. Galatians three twenty six. for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. First John 3, 1 says, what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. And the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Romans eight sixteen. the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I'm just trying to show you what kind of goodness waits for you inside this book. The more that you read it, the more that you learn the character and the words of God, the less power the devil has in your life. So pick a plan and read it every day. There are Bible plans all over the internet. You can download the Bible apps, just called the Bible app. 
And it's got hundreds of plans, and you just pick one. Don't labor over it. Just pick the first one you see. Pick it and read it every day. I use an app called the Bible in One Year app, and I love it. I love the devotionals in it. I love the commentary. It's so good. It has an express version and a full version. And I have the express version on my phone for days when I'm rushing, and I have the uh, full version on my iPad for days when I can soak it all in. And it blesses me so much. Pick a plan and read it every day. Study these words, and they will give you freedom. Number three, pray bold prayers. You gotta learn how to study God's word, but that's not the end of it. That's not the only weapon that he's given you. Because inside of you is the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Quick lesson. God exists in three parts. One God, three different Parts, three descriptions, three aspects of the same being. And the first is the Father, the Creator, the one who spoke everything into being, the one seated on the throne of heaven, the Father. The second is the Son, that's Jesus. And He was fully God and fully man, and He was resurrected into glory, and now He exists at the right hand of God, and He is intervening on your behalf every single day. And then the third part of God is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. If you're Pentecostal, we'll call Him the Holy Ghost. And He was there from the very beginning. In fact, in Genesis, it says that His Spirit was upon the waters. And when everything was created, His Spirit Spirit was in it, and he was a part of it. It is the Spirit of God that gives power to Jesus throughout his ministry. And Jesus says, you're going to go forward and do even greater things than me when the advocate, when the counselor comes to be with you, when the Spirit comes to live within you. And on the day of Pentecost, which is next Sunday, on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and filled the followers of Jesus to the tune of thousands, and people did amazing things throughout the book of Acts and on to today. Why? Because they have power inside of them, and you have power inside of you. And I think that the greatest waste in all of humanity is the amount of Christians that go through their entire lives without ever using, experiencing, or even knowing the power of the Holy Spirit. It says in 2 Corinthians 10, though we walk in the flesh, we don't wage war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to demolish strongholds and we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You can't demolish strongholds on your own. The fortresses the enemy is building around your heart, the things that he is building up inside of you, the accusations that have filled your head, the temptation that plagues you day and night, all of it, all of it, all of it, the lies that you can't find beneath the truth, all of it. All of it. You don't have the power to fight it on your own. You have divine power to demolish those strongholds. The name of Jesus has authority. And when you call on his name and in the power of his spirit, you can command anything that comes against the truth of God and the words of God, and you can command it to bow to the name of God. you got to pray bold prayers of spiritual warfare. In Jesus' name, I bind up the spirits that attack me, that accuse me, that fill my heart with shame, the spirits that tempt me and try to make me lose my step. 
the spirits that discourage me, that test me. I say you have no authority and no power over the holy name of Jesus, and I am his and his child alone. I call on the divine power of the name of Jesus and his spirit to demolish the strongholds being set up against me in my heart. You can pray bold prayers, Christian, and they will protect you. Don't be afraid to pray like you've got authority because the Spirit of God lives inside of you and the devil and all of his friends have already been defeated by that exact same Spirit. My authority I give to you is what Jesus said. I got an app on my phone called the Pray First app and you should download it. It's just called the Pray. You type in Pray First. It's the first one that comes up. I use it all the time, all the time. I go in there and you can choose the category. It's like four categories down. It says warfare prayers. And there you'll find a template and a model to follow as you learn how to pray these bold prayers. You can pray these prayers that are written down and they still have power. And it'll help you learn how to do it on your own. Pray bold prayers. And the last thing today is don't fight alone. Don't fight alone. The last thing you need to know about fighting this battle is not to try to fight it alone. The lion wants to separate you from the herd, but you don't have to fall for it. Be a real part of this community. Be known by somebody, by some bodies. Be a part of a life group, of a small group. Go to events like First Wednesday. Be a part of the dream team. Get on the dream team. I don't really think you can feel like you're at home here until you're a part of it, like a part of it, a part of it. Involved in what we do in the ministry here. A church isn't something to watch. A church is something that does, that does ministry, that engages our community, that brings the gospel into people's hearts every single week. And it's not me that does it. It is the Holy Spirit through the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is all of us working together. You want to be known. You want to be a part of this family. You want to be at home here. You want to stop trying to fight alone. Then be a part of it. Get on the dream team. Start serving here. Start going to First Wednesdays, going to groups. Get known by somebody. Don't only be known by the person you came in here with. Find some friendly faces because you need people to fight alongside of you. Your life will be more full because of it. Build a community here. Use it for accountability, for encouragement, for somebody to mourn with, and for somebody to celebrate with. You need it. And your life is going to be so much more full because of it. All the pastors that I know, and I know quite a few personally, who have morally failed in the last two years were guys with almost no community. Thought they could do it all by themselves. And they're not pastors anymore because we're not made to fight it alone. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens in Jesus' name. Paul's prayer in 1 Corinthians 12, 25 through 27 is just this. He prays that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. 
Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Be a part of it so that you don't have to fight alone anymore. And you can resist the schemes of the devil. You can stand up against all the wars he's going to fight against you in your life. You have the power to do it between his words, his Holy Spirit, and the community of your church. You can resist him. If you're in here today and you've been fighting battles all your life, you've never had a single weapon to fight with. And maybe you know what it feels like to feel that oppression, to feel that isolated, to feel alone in it. Maybe you know what it feels like to live every day with shame and guilt. You know, we talk about freedom in here a lot. Maybe you know what the opposite of that feels like. Maybe you feel like you're walking around with heavy chains every single day. You don't have to anymore because a great work has been done for you that you can have all of this and more. Those promises of God that I read, they are not just for a select group of people. They're for you. They're for you. He wrote those things for you. He said he wants you to be his child, to be his son, to be his daughter. He wants you to be known and protected by him. You can have it all and you can have it right now here today. If you're ready to enter into a relationship with Jesus, every head bowed and every eye closed, just say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. I confess it to you. Everything that I've done wrong in my life, God, forgive me. I turn it over to you. Forgive me for trying to do it by myself. I believe in you. And I believe in what you've done for me. And I give all that I am to you. From this day forward, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen.